Amen. It's a mighty tower. Praise your holy name. The righteous run into it to hide from the storm. Praise your holy name, Lord. Praise your holy name. Praise your holy name, Lord. Praise Lord, praise your holy name, Lord, praise your holy name. Yes, we thank you, Lord.
Father, we thank you, Lord, that we can ask you, like the song said tonight, for more of your spirit. In this world of turmoil, chaos, sin, ungodliness, our only hope and desire, Father, is to have your blessing on our lives and your approval and protection on the lives of your people. Lord, it is almost seemingly impossible to become like your son using our human efforts. But tonight we ask that you'll give us of your spirit. Like they did receive on the day of Pentecost, even so pour your spirit out upon us, Father, that your spirit will lead us into all truth. We ask, Lord, that you bless the service tonight and we commit our, our province and our country before you. We commit uh, all the countries that are suffering at this point in time uh, with this pandemic and areas of the world, Lord, that you have churches. Protect your people, please, we ask, Father. In Jesus' wonderful name, we ask that you'll bless tonight and bless us over this weekend. In Jesus' name, we ask it. Amen and amen. This coming weekend is one of the most celebrated weekends in the Christian world. As a matter of fact, beyond the Christian world, it's one of the most celebrated weekend, and uh, it is commonly known as Easter. And the word Easter is not a Christian word even though it's been adopted into Christianity, the word Easter is found, I think, one place in the Bible, and it was only a reference that compared that, that time with the Passover, the time of the unleavened bread and the Jewish Passover. And uh, when we think about this season called Easter and Christians being not careful about what they call um, commemoration of the Lord's death and his resurrection. 
and they just use a pagan name. I think when the Bible talks about blasphemy, it is some of these things we do in innocence that could be classified as blasphemy. Because if I were God, I'm not God, but if I were God, I wouldn't want you change an ordinance that I've established and adopt a pagan name, whether it's from England or wherever it has its origin from. I would want people to keep on using uh, the terminologies and the way and the and the names and titles of things that I choose. Over in the book of Revelation, and I know we have we have uh, East uh, the Easter weekend coming up, and we like to say Passover, but the common term is Easter weekend. But it's not anything to do with the uh, Easter has nothing to do with Christ, and uh, in reality, in Revelation. The 12th chapter of Revelation speaks of a woman. And we mentioned this woman uh, the other day when we talked about uh, two women in Revelation. Uh, last week, I think it was, I mentioned about symbols and uh, terminologies that you'll find in the book of Revelation that should not be literalized. Uh, the beast in Revelation should not be literalized as a real beast or a hydro-headed monster coming out of the real sea. Jesus, described as having a sword coming out of his mouth, should not be literalized. Uh, when we look at uh, what we, when we take a look at Revelation, there are symbols that are used in Revelation, and it is sad if we today take the symbols and make little um, statues or ornaments with those symbols and try to hold them in reverence, it is a sad thing. And I can only tell you what I feel that God has placed in my heart for me to share with you. A lot of us that are in the pulpit, we say God has placed things in our hearts when really and truly uh, we don't know the difference when God places it or we get it of our own self or the devil or the devil places it in our hearts. But um, we're looking at a lot of symbols in Revelation. And here in chapter 12 uh, is a period of time that I think is describing our day, our period of time. Uh, Revelation is telling us about things which must come to pass when John received this uh, this, uh, this book, when he received the information that made up this book. And if you and I can use our imagination, imagine you were John on the Isle of Patmos. Uh, he was exiled. They tried to kill him according to tradition by putting him in hot oil. It didn't kill him. I'm sure it made him look obnoxious, withered up, and wrinkled up. But it didn't kill him. And so they put him on a penal island, an island that was like a prison island. In Guyana, we have a prison island uh, in the Esukibo River. And I think it's called Sibley Hall. It's, uh, the prison there is called Sibley Hall. And I went into that region one time. And uh, the mouth of the Esukibo River is about 18 to 20 miles wide, just the width of the mouth of the river. 
And as you get on into, into Esukibo, there's a, a lake called Tapakuma Lake. And I was privileged as a young man that did not know to swim. I was privileged to cross Tapakuma Lake with some natives, Amerindians. And the boat, the little canoe or little boat that we were traveling was made to carry about five people. And there were 12 of us. And uh, every one of those kids, those uh, natives could swim. From the time they're babies, they start to swim. I could not swim, and I was told in Lake, uh, when you're crossing the Tapakuma Lake, the water looks like Pepsi, and it's big. It's a big lake. It's a lake that it is said that half of it is warm and half is cold, uh, because it, there are two springs that supply uh, that lake. Uh, so it's, some of it is warm and some of it is cool. And so I was crossing that lake and there they showed me, they said there is a prison, a little island, a uh, prison called Sibley Hall. And prisoners don't want to leave there and swim to save themselves. Because the alligators, locally called Cayman in Guyana, they're crocodiles. They're like 15, 16, and 15 feet long, and they're dangerous. So who wants to jump from the prison and try to swim to the shore? And so it's a penal island. It's a penal place. And so John was in this island called Patmos. And imagine if you were John, and, and you're in that island, and uh, you're suddenly getting visions from God. How long would it take to come up with the book of Revelation? Well, he had a tape recorder. No, he did not. He have a good computer. No, he did not. He had, he had to get little writing pads. Papyrus uh, was the kind of parchment paper that he had, and he had to get a pen. And when I was growing up, we had the kind of pen that you dip, in, dip it in ink and you write and uh, I imagine I've seen a man take a, a, um, a big feather from a chicken and slice it at the end and made a pen out of it. You dip it in the ink and it would write. So I don't know what John was writing with, but I know it was not modern equipment. How long, how many days, how many weeks, or possibly months would John take to write all of this information and pass it on to us. When he saw the four horse riders, uh, he didn't see them all riding along each side each other like today we would like you to believe. But he could only ride one at a time. Even if he was to see four, he can't describe all four, so God will show him one at a time. And I believe some of these incidents are repeated in different visions through the book of Revelation. And so when John is writing here in chapter 12, and you know I have an English Bible, and John did not write this book of Revelation in English. I don't even think he wrote it in Greek or Hebrew. I think he probably wrote it in Aramaic. I'm not sure what he wrote it in. But whatever he wrote it in, translators got a hold of that, and translators have passed it on to us today. So I'm reading, and I can say, 
and there appeared a great wonder. Is that really what he wrote? And so there is that little question mark that you'd like to come up with because you wonder if what I'm preaching here is really what he wrote. And so the Holy Ghost and the Spirit of God that inspired John to write, I need that Spirit to inspire me to decipher what John is writing, and in my spirit I'll feel that that's not really what he wrote. See, if you've got a Spirit of God, and that is why I like that song, I need more of your spirit. And so here comes the devil now. The devil, his job is to undermine your faith. If he can get you to talk unbelief and you talk, talk, talk all day unbelief, he's got you. You're developing unbelief in your life and faith would be diminishing as you speak unbelief. You follow what I'm saying? The devil would not want to close churches, but if he can have churches malfunction and he gives the churches a message that God has not ordained that will never produce overcomers, that's a wonderful job he has done. His job is to undermine your faith. God created him not evil, but he was allowed to remain as the devil in order to test your faith and my faith so we can come forth as overcomers when it's all over. The devil has a purpose and a plan that he is working with that makes me stronger. I cannot get upset so I hate the devil so much. No, he's got a job to do. My responsibility is to live for God. I'm to walk in the counsel of God day and night. I am, would be blessed if I meditate in the counsel of God and the word of God day and night. And so what the devil will do, I should not undermine my faith. My faith should rest in God. And so when I'm reading here, I'm reading uh, a translation given unto me. And I know I could be fanatical just like a lot of preachers are. And I'm not picking on preachers here tonight. I'm just telling you, I could be fanatical and says not one word here is wrong. You know, I can't say that because I did not see who translated it. From little bits in history, what I learn here and there, you know, and do you know history is written with a bias? We have a Russian sitting in the midst of us here. His name is Brother Gregory. We call him Gregory because that's English. But Gregory is sitting there. We have Brother Joe. He's McCormick. He's Canadian. So we've got a Russian. We've got a Canadian. Brother John, to my left here, he is Jamaican. Brother Thomas sitting at the back there, he is African. Brother Sinbad sitting over there, he is Guyanese. If I tell them, each one of these men, to go home and write how the service went tonight, I will not have the same account. Someone would hear something that the other one did not hear. Someone would exaggerate a point that some... As a matter of fact, I had a preacher one day, one of our brothers got up and says, Brother Singh said... And I looked at him, I said, I didn't say that. But you see... If he said, Brother Singh said, people will listen. 
But Brother Singh never said that. He must first understand what Brother Singh said in order for him to write what Brother Singh says. And what Brother Singh is saying, he is hoping that God does not only educate you, but he illuminates you. Because if all you're getting is the education of what I'm saying and not the illumination, you have a problem. So back to we need the Holy Ghost in our midst. More than ever, to become like Christ, we need the Spirit of Christ. And so when you read this Bible, there are little bits and pieces, and I've often picked, uh, picked on a few of those. For example, in the Psalms, when the psalmist, I'm reading that one day, and it says, David, uh, David is saying, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. And I said, that's not right. Why would he lift up his eyes to the hills? He says, sad now. And I felt in my spirit, that's not right. Why is he lifting us, his eyes onto the hills when they were building pagan altars on the hills? What he should have said, I will never lift up mine eyes onto the hills, but I will lift up mine eyes onto the Lord from whence cometh my help. And I believe that's what he said. I don't believe David said he is going to lift up his eyes to the hills. Who are you? Don't you know who I am? My name is Desmond Singh. Where did you go to get educated? Nowhere. I had to readjust my LinkedIn profile because they want to know where you got educated from. And you got to come up with something, otherwise you're nobody. Well, guess what? I wish I was nobody. Because that's what I'm shooting for. I wish I am nothing, that I die daily, that Christ become alive in my life. That's what I wish. I don't want human credibility and human popularity. I want God to have the preeminence in my life. And that's a big job by itself. And so, back to the Spirit of God. We need the Spirit. And so when John is writing here, and I believe that most of what is in this Bible is according to what God allowed to exist. But ever so often you'll find a verse and in the Oxford Bible, which I have, there's a center column reference that the translators that did the Oxford Bible, uh, the Oxford Bible is a King James, but it was, it, it was prepared and documented and doctored by the Oxford Press. Uh, and they would put a little note that the, uh, the original manuscript does not say that, or the original manuscript omit that. But what they call original, is it original? You understand what I'm saying? Am, am I confusing you? I hope not. Because you, what you call original might have been tampered with already. And when I read the King James Version of your Bible, if you have a King James Version of the Bible, you can always turn back. I know Easter is coming up and you need to hear about Easter stuff and Easter bunnies and Easter eggs, well, sometime, sometime in the future you might be able to, to get that. But I'm looking at the, um, at the King James Bible here. And do you know, if you go into the first part of your Bible, if you have a King James Version of your Bible, it will have an introduction to it. And it will say to the Most High and Mighty Prince James. Now, King James was the King of Scotland. And when his cousin Elizabeth died, 
the throne of England was passed on to him. And so he was king of Scotland, but he came over to England and became king in England. And he was there, and the church was very powerful in those days. But the church of England had a division inside, and in that some had classified themselves as the bishops, and some classified themselves as Puritans. Right? I'm telling you what I read about. I wasn't there. I didn't know all the thing. I know that uh, uh, King James, while he was a, a, young, a young boy, just an infant, uh, he was taken in under the tutorship of George Buchanan, I think it was, that trained him in, in, in Scotland. <clears throat> and his teacher was a theologian that trained him when he was a young man growing up in Scotland. And I think his name was George Buchanan. And uh, when King James got of that certain age, and uh, Mr. Buchanan would whip him when he was a boy, whip him when he needed discipline. But when he came to that being a teenager, I heard that he would stand up there and say, you can't whip me, I'm the king of Scotland. And he pushed George Buchanan in a corner, but he was educated in, the, in everything that the Scottish people needed to know, a natural education as well as religious education. He was a product of the Church of Scotland. The Church of Scotland does not believe, I would say the Church of Scotland, 80% of their doctrine is contrary to what we believe. And the Church of England is, is no better and so when you're looking at this, when King James come and you get your King James Bible, you can look at this. And tonight I'm taking my time to teach you what's, not in, what's in your Bible, but not in Scripture, right? And it says, to the most high and mighty Prince James, by the grace of God, the, the translators who are translating this, and because there were two factions in that church of England, the bishops and the Puritan. And the bishops had, um, uh, there, was a, there was the bishop's Bible, and there was the Geneva Bible. I got a scholar sitting there, I hope I'm doing good. Uh, they had two Bibles. Uh, one church has two different kinds of Bibles. The Puritans had the Geneva Bible, and the bishops had the bishop's Bible. They didn't have King James. And the bishop's Bible did not cord everything with the Geneva Bible. And so they got two different versions. When you read this introduction, this introduction is written to King James, telling him, uh, together with other translations, other exact translation, everybody loved that word exact, uh, that they're giving, coming up with one more version to add to that. So King James was not the first version. There were all kinds of uh, translations out there. And just imagine they're fighting here. King James is there. He's from Scotland. He got his own version uh, in his mind. And then he comes here, and then the bishops feel like they have a greater authority over the Puritans. And so they start to squabble over ideas and doctrines and what should be done and what should not be done. And you know, King James, they came up with a suggestion. He says, why don't both of you get together 
Uh, you that got 70% false doctrine, I'm, he didn't say that, I'm saying that. You that got 70% false doctrine and you that got uh, 30 or 40% false doctrine, get together and see if you can come up with a different version of false doctrine. Did they change their theology? No. They just harmonized both factions together and came up with a King James version of the Bible. It's one of the best versions. It's the only one I like to read. But ever so often, I would like to go and see the, the international version or the American Standard or the Living Bible or something else. I like to see what somebody else says. And a lot of times they don't say what pleases me, so I use my own judgment also. We are all prejudiced. We have prejudices that we hold on to. And so when you read this, go home and you get some time and read this introduction. Go slow and underline things that are important. Like when it says, uh, here's what, let me finish the introduction here. It says, uh, they, by the grace of God, King of Great Britain, France, Ireland, defender of the faith. The translators of the Bible wish grace, mercy, and peace. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. And that's how they start out. And they went on to boast up King James a little. Because he had ordered them to come up with a translation. So when I'm looking at my Bible. Uh, I can sit down and pick on it all day. Or I can say Lord touch my mind today. Because whatever I preach. I want the congregation that's listening to me. To change their lives from ungodly lifestyle to godly lifestyle. Amen. Whoever wrote it, or whoever tampered with it, is not as important as, as how I can preach to you to live godly. That's not difficult. To live godly. That's not difficult. Not to tell lies. That's not difficult. Not to have idols in your life. That's not difficult. Not to bear false witness or to have a, take your neighbor's possessions. That's not difficult. Thou shalt not kill. It's a plain as simple as ever. The commandments were given. And the basic commandment sometimes is all you need. I was talking to someone this past week and the person was telling me that, you know, I have, a, my memory is not so good. I said, well, don't stress yourself because by the thing I listen to you and by the time it's all over, I can't remember all the things you're saying because as I get older, you know, my memory is not so good. I said, well, you don't have to remember all these things because I talk for an hour, yap, yap, yap for an hour. How much must I pray, must I, uh, how many books must I study on prayer before I tell you pray? Well, Sister Dorcas, good to see you tonight. I'm going to read to you the complete works of E.M. Bounds on prayer. Well, of course, Sister Dorcas, know about that. Why am I reading the complete works? I mean, it's a nice book to read. It tells you everything. But you know what? You want to pray? Don't read the book. Get on your knees and talk to God. Amen. Use up the time that you take to read and get on your knees and talk to God. Because Ian Bounds himself needed to be saved from certain aspects in life. 
See, I believe everyone has a fighting chance to be saved if your life is right. If you want to serve God, whether you're a Baptist or you're a Catholic or you're Jehovah's Witness, live right and in the kingdom God will give you, just like he will, the Queen of the South and the men of Nineveh, a fighting opportunity to be saved. You get a chance. God's a good God. If you're a murderer, you'll get judged. Wouldn't that be something when that thief on the cross said, Lord, remember me when you come in your kingdom, that Jesus says, okay, you're, you're, you're saved now. Jump off. Did he jump off the cross? No. He committed capital punishment and he needed to die for his offense. If your brother sees sin, if you see your brother sin a sin, which is not unto death, pray for him. But if you see your brother sin a sin which is unto death, I, I don't say you should pray for him. You understand what I'm saying? There is a sin unto death and there is a sin not unto death. So what kind of death are we talking about? The Bible says the wages of sin is death. That's general sin, general death. But there are sins that you can commit in society that demands the death penalty. If you see a person commit a sin that demands the death penalty, pray that God would get his heart right before they put him on the electric chair. Don't pray God save him from the electric chair. No, no, no. Every sin has consequences. You see, we are sitting here tonight. We are all wonderful, dressed up. I get my suit. Brother Joe has his suit. Uh, we all look, Brother Terry's got his suit. We all look so nice. Look at Brother John with his nice top uh, jacket there. Uh, I've got one. I've got to wear mine next week. i got one almost close to that. Nice length. But you don't see my heart. God sees my heart. You see my clothes. You see my attire, God sees the heart. And every sin, every single sin will receive a just recompense of reward. Even when God judges you and chastises you, uh, the blueness of the wound, uh, Solomon says, cleanse it away stripes. Uh, cleanse it away Evil, so the stripes, the inward parts of the belly. When God is cleansing you, you see that nature to sin. Uh, God might say, I'll forgive you of your sins, but that nature to sin need to be dealt with, otherwise I'll sin again. I'll sin and sin and sin and sin until no more opportunity is left for me to, to turn to God. You understand what I'm saying? Now I say all of that and I've got 20 minutes left. And so here in the book of Revelation, in the 12th chapter, uh, it's, there's a woman here, and she's not a real woman, but there are two women that I need to talk to you about very, very briefly, because one uh, is here in chapter 12, and the other is in chapter 17. Now hold your finger in chapter 12, and turn to chapter 17. And when John is looking here, he says, and he carried me away, verse 3. Uh, let me back up a little. And there came one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials, verse 1. And talk with me, saying unto me, Come hither, and I will show thee the judgment of the great whore. Excuse the word, uh, but it's there. I can't say W, but it's whore. 
right? It says, I show you the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters. Now in verse 15, it says, He said unto me, The waters which thou sawest, where the whore sitteth, are not really waters. It's not like the Atlantic Ocean. It's peoples and, and, and multitudes and nations and towns. So this, sometimes we get an explanation, and which is good, right? So when this woman sits on many waters, it's not literal waters. This bee is coming out of waters. The waters there is symbolizing the nations of this world, the ungodly nations of the world. This woman, false religion, is seen here in chapter 17. This great whore is false religion with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication. You see, I'm, I'm Gospel Assembly Church, and I'm glad that the government has allowed me to function here in Mississauga with this little church. But I'm not big enough to support the government and to give them that boost they need. But the Bible tells us that there is a system out here, a religious system, that will eventually support the government and be there with the government. Somebody says, well, I'm going to Catholic school. And uh, because of that, well, you know, uh, 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 Jer Jeremiah and Timothy went to private schools. Did the government funded the schools? No, but the government funds the Catholic school because the Catholic school is working with the government curriculum. Isn't that something? My, I, we have to pay for Jeremiah to go to school, and we paid for Timothy to go to school, Christian school, and it would have been nice if the government funded that too. But for the government to fund that, they got to work with the government's program. And that's all right. The government has a right to do what the government has to do. But if you kiss up to the authority and you change your curriculum and work with their agenda, then you can do uh, whatever it is. You're supported by the beast. You're given a ride with this woman. So false religion here is called the great whore. And what she does, she commits fornication with the kings of the earth and have made them drunk with the wine of her fornication. Now this wine of her fornication is not only making this, this, uh, the, the kings of the earth drunk, but leaders and merchants and uh, people around. Uh, when this system falls in chapter 18, when this woman and the system falls, it, it, a lot of rich people are going to cry. Commerce goes under. But right now, we're just looking at the influences of these two women. And this one, the whore, Revelation 17. So she carried me away in the spirit in the wilderness. And I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast. A scarlet color is the color that some of these uh, churches use. It says, a scarlet colored bees full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. This woman is the mother of false religion. And false religion does not exclude apostate Christianity. Because when you think about it, in the days of Jesus, uh, if you were walking in, the, in Jerusalem, in the days of Jesus, there was an organization called the Pharisee Church. There was an organization called the Sadducees. There was a group called the Essenes. And there was a set of people they branded as the Nazarites. 
And then you had these guys that had names. The scribes were ones that do, do translations. Uh, you have all of these groups, and you want to find a church. And you're walking down the streets down there. Uh, what would you follow? Well, if you're not, you want a good job in the city, become a Pharisee or a Sadducee because they got connections. But when you pass the Pharisee, you pass the Sadducee, you pass the Essene, you pass the Nazarite, and you go down and you see a bunch of people by the River Jordan, and there was a guy there. He looked like almost like an animal because he was dressed with a camel skin coat. He made his clothes out of camel skin, not processed. Whatever they did back there. He was a wild man. His training was in the wilderness, not a school, not an institution. And unlike every other son of a priest, his dad was a priest. And I'm sure, I'm not sure, but I'm thinking that if I was John's, uh, Zacharias, John's dad, I would wonder if my son lost it. Why, what's wrong with this boy? Y'all, when you see him, don't say hello because people, when, I, when, Anan, uh, when I'm walking with Ananias, the high priest, and I'm Zacharias walking with Ananias, and John the Baptist is coming, uh, I would say, okay, uh, Ananias, let's go this way. Let, let's, let's take a different track because I'll be embarrassed to say that wild guy is my son because he ate bugs. He ate locusts. And he drank wild honey, not processed honey. He ate bugs and drank wild honey. But when you pass the Pharisee church and you pass the Sadducee church and you pass all these little organizations, the Bible says there was a man sent from God. His name was John. The only man sent from God to preach Prior to Jesus, in that period of time, was John. The man with the white clothes and dressed up nice and, uh, you know, looked so pious. God didn't send them. Religion produced their own products. Apostate religion always produces their own products. And that is why for God to be able to preach a gospel that is pure, we need God called men to preach the gospel. So this woman has an influence, and she has names of blasphemy. Uh, what would that be? Would it be, uh, you see, like you name a church, Gospel Assembly Church. If God did not give us that name, and God is not working with us, that's the name of blasphemy. Assemblies of God. If God did not approve that, and God did not give that name, that's another name of blasphemy. Never before have we had so many people preaching so many different gospel and everyone say, God, send them. Amen. Now, if God is nuts, he would send all these people starting their own organization. But God is not nuts. We are nuts. Humanity has gone crazy. And that is why back there, there was a core that God worked with, and that was what followed John. And when Jesus came on the scene, what followed Jesus, that was the remnant. And what did Jesus call his church? 
Today, we need a name for the sake of registration and the government's recognition and all of that. Uh, preachers call themselves reverent because you need an organization, an ordination from an organization in order for you to perform marriage rites and all these things. You need a name. The only time I sign reverent on my name, and I am reverent, the only time I sign that is when I'm signing a government document, you know. They need that REV, reverend father or reverend mother or reverend whatever. But all of these things come from apostate religion. And so today when I'm telling you that Easter comes from apostate Christianity, all of these various religious bodies, think God sent them all? Fighting each other? Would God send five men in one city? Fighting each other? This one is called Assemblies of So. This one is called Assemblies of the Firstborn, Secondborn. This one is called Baptist Everybody. And did God send them all? Common sense would tell you no. They could all be sending themselves. But when God sends someone, that person preaches a message that God has approved. God must process that individual before he sends them. But you see the problem we have. This woman here, she's involved in religion. And she's producing stuff that the church, Christian world, is receiving. And the devil is influencing that. This woman is a very dangerous woman. Because she produces a, a theological concepts of God. And that is why when Paul was writing to the church of, of Corinth, he says, he says, no marvel, the devil himself is transformed as an angel of light. And it is no surprising thing that his apostles are called apostles of righteousness. This woman has a cup in her hand that is full of religious fornication. She has names of blasphemy. And she has harlot daughters. Mama Whore has harlot daughters that she has produced. And sometimes a man says, well, I don't believe in this church. I'm going to leave it. And so they leave Rome, but they didn't go far enough. And that is why I'm amazed at some of us that hold on to the dogma taught by some of these apostate daughters of Mama. It goes on here and it makes some statements and I'm looking at the time, don't worry. It says, and the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and uh, color and decked with gold and precious stones of pearls having a golden cup in her hand full of abominations and filthiness of her spiritual fornication. See, we belong to Christ. Paul says, I'm jealous over you with a godly jealousy, for I've espoused you to Christ. If we belong to Christ, we cannot commit spiritual fornication with the rest of society. The bride of Christ would not be contaminated by anything that apostate Christianity offers. And so when we convince ourselves we can all be in the bride of Christ, knock yourself out. What do you think the bride of Christ will be made up of? People that are spiritual fornicators? And that is why this weekend it's good for us to examine ourselves and see what kind of spirit we have. And if we are really following Christ, are we following, are we influenced by this woman 
false religion with all that she has to offer the world. And it says here, upon her head uh, was a name written, mystery. She is a mystery. You can't understand her easily. But Jesus said to his disciples, it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. And it says, uh, she's called mystery. Babylon the great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. And I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, John himself was astonished because she was such a big, a great spectacle to look on. But when John looked at that, he was astonished and he got rebuked. Can you imagine John got rebuked by the angel and the angel says unto me, wherefore didst thou marvel? Why are you so surprised? Why are you, is your jaw hanging in awe? I never got rebuked by an angel yet, but John did. Same angel giving him all this information. And this woman has harlot daughters. Now that's the system that's out there. And that is why when I tell you on Saturday night we'll talk about the cup of the Lord and we'll talk about the cup of devils. The cup of the Lord is what the Lord provides contrary to the cup of the devil what this woman provides. All right? As you move on, as you move on, <clears throat> we're backing up here now. Uh, we will look a little bit here. Because she has the blood, the blood of the martyrs. She is responsible for the death, natural death and spiritual death of the saints of God. And a lot of saints of God that are attending church are spiritually dead. Slowly they become zombies. Church of the living dead. We need God. We need a conversion. We need more of his spirit. We need more of his spirit, genuine Holy Spirit. See, the devil is such a liar, he can come, he says, y'all, well, that's a good song. Sing more of his spirit. And then the leader says, well, we can't feel anything. Y'all sing it up again. Close your eyes. Sing it again, more of his spirit. Come on, stop the music and let's just lift our hearts and get up there. And then one sister decides she's going to show like she got the spirit. Look at me. And then the one next to her says, oh my gosh, she's getting it and I'm not getting it. So that one start up. And you think you're in a rock and roll church before it's all over because people are shaking in the flesh and pretending they got a spirit when they got nothing but the flesh. Yeah. It is important that we don't fake the baptism of the Holy Spirit because if we do, we are still dead in trespasses and sin. And so as we face this woman and see the torment it here in chapter 13, uh, it says when this John is having this vision of this beast coming out of the sea and he had one of the heads in verse 3 was wounded and his deadly wound was healed. And we don't have time to get into all of this, but here is what I want to take you to. And it was given, verse 7, it was given to this beast that the woman is riding. Who is in control, the woman or the beast? They're working in harmony. And it says that it was given to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And power was given to him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. Now when this war is happening on the saints, listen, 
It's not military engagement naturally. It is a spiritual warfare that the devil has launched on the church. And anywhere truth is preached, the devil has a launch. He has launched attacks, spiritual attacks on the church. And if the devil can bring more contamination in our midst, religious contamination, he can come like an angel of light. And he has apostles as apostles of righteousness that God never called. He can contaminate the woman, this church, and make her unable to produce what God wants her to produce. So verse 12 tells you about this other woman. Chapter 12 tells you about this other woman. And I've got three minutes to tell you about her quickly. But she is a wonderful woman. She's not like the woman in Revelation 17. The mother of harlots. Here is a woman. And what do you see? And there appeared a great wonder in heaven. A woman. I believe this is the church. To the best of my ability. That's what I'm telling you. This is the church. Clothed with the son of righteousness. She's clothed. With the sun. Isn't that wonderful? She's not clothed with purple or scarlet. No, she's clothed with the sun. Uh, the scripture tells us in Malachi, Then shall the sun, S-U-N, arise with healing in his wings. Jesus is the son of righteousness. And she's clothed with the sun. And she has the moon under her feet. What a position. See, the moon symbolizes the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, uh, the law of Moses. And the son of righteousness typifies Christ. And you'll find that right down to the end of, the, of this chapter 12. It says this dragon was wrought, last verse, and went to make war with the woman and to make war with the remnant of her seed. And what this woman was doing, which keep the commandments of God, the moral laws of God, and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. See, that's the testimony. How we overcome the devil? By the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Uh, we have a law that we maintain, the moral laws of God. So as this woman is standing here in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 1, and upon her head were a crown of 12 stars, she is with child because she must produce the man-child, which is to rule the nations with a rod of iron. This is the bride of Christ to be produced. The whole woman does, is not the bride. The church that produces the bride is that woman. But just prior to her producing the bride, it says, it says and uh, there appeared a great wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon. Who is a great red, great red dragon? Verse 9. And uh, it says, and Michael, verse 7 says, and there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and the dragon and his angels, all right? And prevailed not, neither was their place found anymore in heaven. And that great dragon, that great dragon is not huff, puff comes the dragon, was cast out. What is he? The old serpent that tempted Eve. What is he, a snake? No, called the devil and Satan. These are all terms used to describe him. It says here in verse um, Verse 3, and there appeared a wonder in heaven. Uh, behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns, having seven crowns upon his head. What a mimicking of what God is doing. His tail drew a third part of the stars and did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman, ready to devour 
ready to, who was ready to be delivered. She was ready to give birth to the bride. Uh, he was ready to devour the child as soon as it was born. Uh, we are living in that period of time where the devil would like to undermine the production and the development of the bride of Christ. He would like to undermine the development of overcomers. And that is why we need a church that can teach us these things. We don't need to celebrate pagan customs and get names and get carried away with little fickle things. We need more serious things to be considering in our lives. We need to consider the seriousness of serving God and not be undermined in our faith. Paul said that Jesus might present unto himself a chaste virgin, having not spot nor wrinkle or any such blemish. Uh, Paul, in writing to the church at Corinth, he says, I'm jealous over you with a godly jealousy, for I've espoused you unto one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. God is taking a contaminating, contaminated people. He's taking spiritual prostitutes and spiritual harlots, and he's changing you with the pure and unadulterated word of God, washing you by the word and by his spirit and cleansing you and to, to present unto himself a church without spot or wrinkle. We're here tonight, and as we head towards this Easter weekend, uh, Passover weekend, Easter weekend, as we head towards this weekend, we want to understand a little bit more about what the cup of this woman in our hand is all about and what the cup of the Lord is all about and see which one we are partaking of. And drinking communion, little wine on, on the weekend, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking partaking of Christ on a daily basis. May God help us. May God stimulate our hearts. May God challenge our lives to live right. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you once again for this a little bit of time you have given to us tonight that we can present your gospel, the word of God. Lord, we can't do this by ourselves. If ever there was a time... We need your spirit to help us, not only to help us, Father, but to give us that spirit of discernment that we can recognize the cup of the devil, the cup that this woman holds in her hand in Revelation 17 and recognize the simplicity and godliness that the woman in Revelation 12 has. Oh, Father, help us to follow the principles of your word that we might also be clothed with the son of righteousness as we stand on the, mor on the, on the moral laws of God uh, that the Old Testament offers, Father. Bless our service. Bless us over this weekend, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.